Hey Lab listeners, Chris here. Jason and I wanted to let you know about a couple of things before we start our Looking Ahead to 2021 episode. First, we're going to start taking topic ideas and questions from you, our listeners. We got the idea from you doing it unsolicited anyway. So please feel free to reach out to us on social media and tell us what topics you'd like us to cover and tell us what questions you'd like to have answered. Second thing, the first segment of this podcast has an audio glitch associated with my feed in particular that makes me sound like I'm talking on my grandmother's house phone. It goes away by the interview and never comes back. It was organic and real, so we figured we'd roll with it. Now on to the episode. Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Graham-Nye and Chris Dominic. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love said to me... Your feet smell. <laughs> Your feet smell terrible. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm, uh, I'm really excited about our last podcast of the year. We're going to do our futurist episode. We've got one of our strongest big brain friends on today. Mm-hmm. What, uh, Tom Ostoba, which I describe at one point in our promotional materials as a futurist, but I also describe him at one point uh, as an organizational systems trailblazer, which you laughed at me for. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. You really did. And I think it's just because you guys went to so many rugby matches and like, you know, got three sheets and stuff that you can't think of him as like the big powerful man that he is or something. That's pretty much it. I've had this this problem inside my brain, which is like half of him has got this enormous brain and the other half is just wandering the streets of Las Vegas during the sevens tournament. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. That's so true. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing our discussion. We already got this interview done. It was really fun about all the ideas people have about how next year is going to go. And as uh, I think anybody of this generation or maybe older, would say that 2020 is by far the worst year they've experienced. So it's got to be that people are very excited uh, to be popping a bottle on New Year's Day because if nothing else, you know, it's got to be better. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although it's going to be interesting, right? Um, So, hey, I thought this would be kind of fun. The the quiz for you today is on. uh, Yes. The quiz for you today is on amazing predictions. You ready? Can I just say, how did I get the punching bag roll in this whole thing? How how did I get this part? Like, did I I, audition for this? Uh, I think it's because in the trailer, I'm the guy. You're you're a little more of the straight man. And I'm the guy who kind of falls on his face at the end. Really? Shame. Yeah. So, so, so now you get to fall on your face every episode. Although you did get two out of six the other day, that was it was pretty good. Beautiful. Okay, let's yeah, go. I'm I'm always going to be Lucy pulling away the football. Okay, here we go. I'm scared. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, Nikola Tesla, best known for his contributions to the design of modern alternating current electrical supply systems, famously predicted the future invention of what way back in 1909? So the obvious answer is going to be electric car, but I think there might be something else. Teleportation? I'll stick to to the obvious 
electric car? Mobile phones. I hate you. Really? I know. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I know. Well, think about it. He was uh, he was a uh, Alexander Graham Bell. Like he was working with him for a while until he got tired of him and went and did his own thing. So they would have naturally been thinking about that. So that's kind of cool. Um, number two. What author first described the electronic tablet, you know, like an iPad, back in 68, 1968? Orson Welles. It's Orson Welles. Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, that's right. 2001 A Space Odyssey. He called it a newspad. That is so cool. Yeah, Uh, you would go to the, the, you would go download the news of the day onto your pad and then walk around with it, which is, you know, pretty, pretty good considering. All right. Number three, what author described the atomic bomb in 1913, decades before it was invented? George Orwell. H.G. Wells. <laughs> I think my answers are even are, are off by like thousands of decades. I don't even think George Orwell was born then, but anyway. <laughs> no, yeah, he was. I think uh, it was in this. It was in this story called "The World Set Free." He, this is the guy who wore, famously wrote "The War of the Worlds." Hmm. Okay, four. Who was it back in 1865? Wrote of a rocket taking off from Florida and landing safely on the moon with astronauts. Even predicting the feeling of weightlessness the astronauts would experience, despite not knowing there would be no gravity in space. Oh my lord! I have no idea, Chris J. Dominic. I can't even. You gotta try, man. You're not gonna try. Can you give me a hint? Oh, okay. I'll give you a hint. It's like I think it's my first hint. You ready? Yeah. I I should just have this rule, which is if you you, if you smoke the first three, I I start giving you hints. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, he's French. Oh, jeez. What? Oh, what year? 1865. Oh, man. French. Okay. Put, put, he, 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 yeah, keep going. Give me more. Give me more. He wrote, this is just shameless now. I'm, uh, he wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> oh, no. I don't remember. You're just still not going to get it. It's Jules Verne. Oh, I'm Jules such Verne. a moron. Oh, so many lost brain cells. Hey, there's still. T- <laughs> you're blaming it on. You're blaming it on your university years. Okay, so it's uh, we got two more. Five. What famous business person predicted online digital price comparison services way back in 1999? Wow. Uh, oh, by the way, in 1999, I didn't have a cell phone. No, either did I. Bill Gates. Yep, you got it. <gasps> yep, in his chicken book. dinner. Yes, you ding, 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 in his book, Business at the Speed of Thought. Oh, that's so cool. And that and the at was the little squiggle a thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, last one. Ready? Who predicted that the unchecked burning of fossil fuels would have a sort of greenhouse effect way back in 1917? Jeez, 1917. I know. I know. Well, think about it. He he was looking at the industrial revolution and was probably like, "Oh, this doesn't look good." Yeah, seriously. Really smart guy. Really smart guy who hung out with Nikola Tesla. Oh wow! I got nothing. Alexander Graham Bell. Oh come on! The inventor of the telephone, buddy. Wow. There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, now that you're feeling so smart about the future, yeah. uh, why don't we get to our interview with Tom Osdoba? Ready? Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right. Well, we're really, really excited to have our guest, 
Tom Osdoba here, our organizational systems trailblazer. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Chris. Good to hear you. <laughs> what, Jason? You didn't like the title I gave him? What? <laughs> Just say it again. Just say that one more what? time. What is organizational, Tom? Organizational systems trailblazer. Really? Yeah. You went, oh, come on. What? He's, he's, right. well, okay, he's a lot of things. He's a friendly drunk. He's a rugby freak. He's a big thinker. I'm not sure he's that, though. Could we spend the next 20 minutes working, workshopping that? Maybe we ought to let him talk. Okay. Tom, Tom, you can come back. Come back, Tom. Sorry we scared you off. Maybe the whole pod is just talking about what my title should be. Yeah. That'd, be super, yeah. that'd be super helpful for me, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> give you a little bit of a lead. Okay, so just Tom, just get this going. When we met you, you were at the University of Oregon in the School of Business. And we used to have some really amazing talks and we got to know you back then. But uh, you've been doing a bunch of things since then. Can you get us caught up? In a few minutes? Yeah. So very briefly, I left the U of O beginning of 2012, I, I believe. And, and you know, they had a good trajectory becoming the, the top rated green MBA program in the country for a number of years. And, and that's been exciting to see them be able to sustain that. Uh, Chris, in classic Oregon fashion, you'll appreciate the fact that they do that even though they don't know how to pay for the program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're really happy you just said that now. Yeah. Like, oh. I, I can't wait for the letters. Yeah, we're going to get letters. There you go. That sponsorship yeah. deal. Damn. Yeah. Uh, name and there names. There it goes. Guess you're not coming back, Tom. <laughs> and, and then I spent about four years working for a, a very large social uh, affordable housing or social housing finance intermediary based in Washington, D.C., helping them work on their sustainability strategy and portfolio. It was very interesting. A high-powered organization also East Coast elite nonprofit culture. Gotcha. Okay. And how about after that? I managed I managed to make it four years there, which is you know almost a record. And then I moved to Europe, and I, now I live in France, and I've been here for almost three years across the ocean now. What are you doing now? I helped the European Commission working through its largest innovation community build a climate program for cities that I would humbly state is the best program for city climate action in the world. Oh, that's very cool. That's exciting. Well, maybe everybody can figure out at this point why we have Tom on the show. We're doing our futurist episode and we're going to take all sorts of swipes at how we think 2021 is going to go. And just to maybe get us kicked off, I thought I'd start light. I was thinking about some of my friends who are single and they have been in their apartments, in their homes, and a lot of them haven't really dated very much or you know, anything more than you know, talk to people online. I'm going to guess that people are going to be swiping right and left a lot, like fairly soon. I'm thinking like, you know, maybe April, May, there's going to be a lot of dating. I, well, what I was going to say is I can't believe we aren't all talking about the dating app for COVID that somebody trotted out four or five months ago. Oh, I didn't even know about this. Well, it, I don't think it exists. That's what I'm saying. I was okay. surpri yeah. surprised in hindsight that that wasn't created, that maybe used uh, virtual reality to allow online dating to go into the quantum realm, if you would. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we're five minutes in and we're talking about yeah. quantum realm dating. Like we're already you know, in the future. This is great. 
<laughs> you would think that somebody would have come up with that. I mean, there's AI everywhere. You know, they've got those Oculus amazing, what do you call them? They're not called 3D, are they? They're VR, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so, wow, okay. Well, it seems to me that might be around the corner. What what do you guys think? I mean, one of the ways I was thinking we could talk about this is in terms of like whose stock's going up and whose is going down. And I don't mean literally, right? Certainly Zoom has had a nice bump. <laughs> uh, Zoom obviously is off the charts. Another great business here in Australia, we have um, mandatory quarantine if you come in from overseas and you can only come in from overseas if you've got a good reason, like you're an Australian resident or what have you. But you have 14 days of quarantine in a hotel. You get taken off the plane by Australian mm-hmm. Federal Police and it's all very tight. But you could get anything from a one-star Ibis budget hotel to a five-star Sheraton on the park. And so the business I saw yesterday, which I think is going to soar, because we just had a huge outbreak yesterday. So this quarantine, this pandemic thing isn't going away soon. Oh, even yeah, That's surprising. It is shocking. Well, which, how does that even happen when you guys are all locked down uh, 10,000 miles away from anybody? Is it somebody snuck in or something? Yeah, that's a whole inquiry happening. But in the last 24 hours, mm, the thing's okay. gone berserk. But this business is called Pimp My Quarantine. <laughs> and what it, it is absolutely brilliant because what it means is look, you're stuck in a one star hotel for fourteen days and you can get you can get a good coffee machine rented and brought in. You can get you can get a secret Santa gift sent to your loved ones. The other great thing is there's a concierge service, so any kind of assistance you need, like you need an HDMI cable or something. So I think mm-hmm. that's a that that's a mini rising star, not to the scale of Zoom, but it's exciting. Because it's basically another delivery service. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It does seem well. So while we're on that topic, delivery services are huge here. I don't know if they're a big thing there. Uh, Tom, are they in France? Is is delivery a thing? Is that what people do? Very much so. I mean, most of the restaurants probably offer some kind of takeaway nowadays. Uh, not not during the first lockdown, but now, uh, the the amount of delivery is is huge. They're they're everywhere all the time, and and you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is even in France people get tired of cooking. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, the re- repeating anything can get tedious. It seems like one of the things that is obvious is that it's probably going to be kind of a second half year in terms of the uptick. Because yes. I've got friends who are ER docs and uh, other types of medical professionals, and they're putting all of their pictures of them getting vaccinated mm. on social media right now. So that's exciting. But, you know, they're the, they're, they're the first wave and like we'd mentioned in a previous podcast, you know, we're, we're currently thinking that we're getting through the waves until about April. Right. And then from that point forward, it's just, you know, how do you make sure you, you get it to people, Mm. but there won't be any restrictions on who can get it at that point. It's just, do people take it or can they get, so it seems to me like no matter what, the second half of the year is when some of the businesses that have been struggling, some of the people that have been struggling, finding work, things like that, they'd all be in a different situation than they would have been earlier on. And I do, don't you kind of wonder, are people going to stick to their old habits, you know, that they've now formed because we've been doing this so long, or are they going to go bonkers? I mean, are, are suddenly concerts going concert halls going to fill up and bars are going to fill up or what, what do you guys think it hasn't been long enough even though it feels like forever it hasn't been long enough for cultural norms to fully reset so i think there is going to be the reflect back to normal as fast as possible and with the classic 
euphoria that our markets generally lead to. So yes, people I think are going to flood back to the things that they used to enjoy, the way they had it, et cetera. I think what will surprise people is how much the business landscape has changed. How many small businesses have gone under, won't be able to survive or can't, can't open back up again effectively enough to respond because they won't have cash. And it's probably as simple as that. They just don't have cash to respond and the credit system isn't prepared for uh, a reopening of the economy. Well, it's interesting. We, we just had a call with the National American National Restaurant Association. They represent a million restaurants in America for this other um, business I'm helping. And they're saying 150,000 restaurants have closed and will never come back. You've got New York City this last week with no internal dining allowed. And so it is fascinating. And, you know, restaurants employ huge... Huge numbers, hourly pay. They're now on the streets in a society where, you know, the $1,200 bailout money, I'm not sure ever. I think that was very short term and now it's gone. So the dynamics are fascinating. The other thing I've seen also leading up to before COVID was how restaurants are being reconfigured to accommodate the delivery drivers coming into their physical space and how that's changing fundamentally the feeling of going out to dinner. If you're going into a restaurant and you've got this pile of scooters and motorcycle drivers at the front door waiting to get it's just a very interesting time and place it seems to me like one of the the, the low-hanging fruit here is you know the obvious ones like for example travel i know a lot of people who were used to traveling a lot they don't travel anymore the only way they're going to feel comfortable traveling is if they get vaccinated basically um, yes mm -hmm. and so I, I can't imagine that's not going to completely shift by summer I'm not sure. I think the whole model of the airline industry is fascinating, right? You've got these massive capital costs and then you're you're a victim to oil prices and that's the entire business. You know, you know those statistics like if business class isn't full, that plane mm -hmm. is running at a loss and that business mm -hmm. class has to be full with paying customers, not points. Like it's an amazingly flawed business. And so I think that's where – and Qantas is half owned by the government – that's right. where they they say two years because they can't afford it. I mean, we were just in Ayers yes. Rock and Uluru. We just saw 200 planes mothballed sitting in the desert. So like it's a mini Mojave yeah. Desert and it's all the Asian yeah. airlines have put their planes down there. And it's it's just unbelievable and incredible, you know? Yeah, you sent me that picture. Tom, I got to ask, what are people starved for relationship stuff there? I mean, is it like what we see here where people keep talking about how they just could stand to have a hug? <laughs> Are they different in France, Tom? <laughs> I, fundamentally, I don't think so. And I think it's one of those things that we haven't done a good enough job. And I don't mean us specifically, but as a society, recognizing mm -hmm. the pain of isolation and the costs of isolation that affect us every day. It affects our productivity, mental health. It affects everything that we do, particularly people unlike me who are extrovert. You know, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy many days not talking to a lot of people, but I can't imagine what it's like for an extrovert in this day yeah, and age. Well, that'd be me. It well, is, uh, what, what, yeah. what, what happens is you start a podcast. That's what yeah, say. that's exactly what happens. You you say, <laughs> I, I got to talk to somebody. I mean, like, yeah. you know, it's just, this is rough. Uh, yeah, it's it seems to me the people that have, have fared the best are introverts with, with loving families, like loving functional families seem to be the ones who got through this the best. And yeah. extroverts who are alone and single in a small apartment, uh, that's a rough one. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I, I recently spoke with some people about was this confusing set of indicators out there like just our stock markets are 
doing pretty well. And, you know, it used to be that that was a sign of economic health. But now that the rich poor gap is what it is, you can tell there are certain people who are just like, well, that doesn't help me any. You know, I didn't have a corporate job. Mm -hmm. I don't have a 401k. And then here's this other thing, which is, for example, in Portland, we have the least amount of homes available ever. Right. Really? Wow. Like you, 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 the inventory, as they say, mm-hmm. of homes is at it's never been lower. So if you go and you just check out like one of these sites uh, that just has a, I've got an approximation of how much your home's worth. Mm. If you live in a desirable neighborhood in Portland right now, your home is worth like almost a ridiculous amount of money compared to what you thought it would be worth. And again, that doesn't seem to be, you know, then you, you know, you're driving down the street, you're looking at this bonkers stock market, your house is worth mo- a lot of money and there's homeless people more and more by the day. Mm-hmm. How do you parse out the complexity of an economy that seems to have all these misleading indicators in it? Yeah, well, we've known for 30 years that the stock market's not a good barometer for the overall health of the economy, yet it's mm-hmm. still the first thing reflexively people look at right. when they're trying to gauge the health of the economy. We know that that's not it. So it's a very interesting, you know, sort of cognitive dissonance in the system right now, I think. One of the things I've been noodling over the last however many years when I think about it or walk the dogs or what have you is I scratch my head and I wonder when you get to this level of economic uh, stratification where the it, the top one or two or five percent, however you parse it, have such a disproportionate share of both assets and income. And it's both. It's not one or the other. And I think that's that's important. I can't think of a single situation where that goes back the other way without a horrible disruption in the sort of global stability or or local stability or yeah. what have you. You're and it, talking about pitchfork, right? Well, guillotine, because I'm in France. Yeah, okay, yeah, right. You pitchfork or or guillotine or guillotine or whatever guillotine, you want to call it. But what about, what about the, there's a couple of examples maybe, like uh, early 20th century, Theodore Roosevelt breaks up the truss, right? Yep. Um, that's probably one of the few nonviolent motions to, to sort of reset things. But I hear you. Yeah. It's a good point. And then I was thinking about that today, that very issue today, because is that a case? And it, it it was maybe a case of the United States, but the Spanish-American War was going on at the time. You know, it wasn't peaceful everywhere. We just mm-hmm. kept the we just kept the war outside of the United States and broke the trust. What I wonder is if we had to that point specifically, if we had the political will to embark on a decade of antitrust policy work? Could we scale things back to uh, something that's more within the the universe of acceptable from a social cohesion perspective? Yeah, I have heard some rumblings about that, that, that there is in the new Biden administration going to be, uh, this, is, this is all rumor at this point in, in preliminary right. articles that I've been reading, that, that there's more interest in antitrust prosecutions occurring. But, you know, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah. Uh, Jason, does any of that stuff ring a bell in Australia or in your reactions? It's really interesting. I've always wanted to ask this of two people living in America and in France. When we moved to the States, I just remember reading that in America, the people are afraid of the government. And in France, the government is afraid of the people. And I feel like the (laughs) the pitchforks one's a great one. I've always had, you know, the butter makers of France get cross with Macron. So they just roll the trucks into Paris and the whole place is gridlocked. That's right. But in, in the US, I feel like there's just not that engagement and even with black lives matter earlier this year it's like 
let's go. And there's people on the streets, but then somehow it's just quelled. It does feel for a lot of people here like the government has failed them because there is this difficulty with whether you're sort of on the left wing side or the right wing side, you have to sort of acknowledge that the government looks like they're just in a pissing match with each other. And they're supposed to be serving their constituency, which is the people who are paying for them. But (laughs) the reality is, if we can actually see massive voter turnout in America, that's a sign that people are like, okay, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And that's kind of what we want it to happen, right? We're supposed to be able to check power that way. Uh, that's the nonviolent way to do it. I think that's right. I'll I'll take that a step or two further for you because I think that particularly in the American model, right? It's a it's a it's a federal republic. The way it's structured, real change tends to come from the local level to the state level to the national level. Rarely does change come across the nation. What's encouraging over the last several years is that the level of activity, the level of appetite for trying new things, not having all the answers, but trying to do something about the situation we're in is quite high. I think the last four years in retrospect will be seen as a anomaly because you had this federal government that became completely devoid of any norm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That does make sense. And, you know, Jason, to your point earlier about, you know, the whole BLM uh, rise and mm. the, the reactions to it and, and the sense that, boy, it just petered out. I, I would say that there are there are a few things that appear lasting from that in, in which I'm I feel are are in the constant stand of let's go two steps forward and one step back. I think there was at least two steps forward there. And I don't I do think that there's a lot of work that's got to get done there for sure. Like it's not even close, but the reality is there's things that used to be considered very controversial that are now mainstream. For example, it's very common at the beginning of sporting events for people to take a knee mm-hmm. during the, the, the star spangled mm-hmm. banner. That is, uh, that used to make people bonkers. I mean, the, basically anybody right of center would be like, they are disrespecting military. And and now it's sort of gotten out that, no, that's not what's really going on here, right? They're, they're simply trying to raise awareness about the fact that there isn't the, the kind of equality that a lot of people think actually exists. And I know a lot of mainstream white people who finally sort of understand that there are things that they thought were perfectly uh, even table kind of situations that aren't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All you have to do is hear a few stories from your friends who are people of color about how they get stopped in their car unnecessarily or what some of their experiences were growing up. And suddenly you go, oh, that didn't happen to me. And I so and I think that, so I think there is a change there. And I do think that there's hope that that will continue to go somewhere. I, I realize that there's structures in place that make that hard. Well, what do you got coming up? What's what do you What are you excited about for 2021? What's the thing that you're looking forward to, Tom? The next thing in the horizon of my brain is to try to figure out how to regenerate a village in, in Europe and not just as an enclave, not just as a real estate deal, but as how do you get a functioning small community economically, socially, et cetera, working again. You know, there are articles about thousands of small towns and villages in Italy, France, Spain, et cetera. They're just dying. Young people are leaving, the businesses are shutting, et cetera. But you've got these historic beautiful villages like the people our age who are looking at the next chapter of their lives going what am i going to do 
I've still got something to contribute. I don't want to retreat. I, I'm not comfortable in these, these sort of stratified enclaves. I want to be part of the community, but I don't have the opportunity to do that. And so we're looking at opportunities to try to rebuild that around investing in healthcare institutions for people who want to age in place while combining that with community development that looks at local business, economic gardening, if you will. So making sure there's a bakery, a butcher shop, et cetera, in a small community. And it doesn't all get hoovered away by the big chain that's out on the edge of town. Uh, that sounds really cool. Yeah. I, I, that, I'm very interested in that stuff. How about you, Jason? What What are you looking forward to in 2021? We've got a little community here in North Bondi, and um, we've been having fun working with that community, local cafes. We had these devastating bushfires 12 months ago, so we raised a bunch of money. I have an ongoing joke about the fact that the area we live in, the nickname is Ben Buckler, so it's called, we've called it the Republic of Ben Buckler, and I am the <laughs> self-styled mayor-elect pending the recount. And... <laughs> I can't wait to meet the actual mayor of the uh, council we live in to actually tell her that good news. But we have car stickers. So if you put the sticker on your car, you get free parking or you don't. We haven't tested that in the court of law, but we'll try. Um, we have a range of merchandise. We're launching a new brand this morning, a Terry Towling robe company called 2026A. So we have a postcode, the postcode for Bondi Beach is 2026, but 2026A is for the Republic of Ben Buckler, and it actually works. The The post office recognizes that we are a little different. My whole thing for 2021 is just a simple hope that we can get the rare benefit of some of the things we've had to reflect on that we probably didn't want to reflect on mm -hmm. and hold on to that, but then be able to enjoy some of the old freedoms that we will get back. I probably, you know, I, I've always felt like I, I work really hard to try and take care of relationships and, and friends and things like it, it just, you know, putting energy into relationships is important to, to making them thrive. Right. And the thing that's interesting is, is I always felt when I was super busy that, that I was doing a good job with that, but never good enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like now maybe it's going to be easier to dial in where the, the standard is, because it just seems like, I mean, there's a lot of people who've probably promised each other this this year things like, you know, we got to make sure that we get together more often in the future when we can. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just. <laughs> I think it's it's so true. It, it reminds me of something I heard from a of, of all people, a real estate developer in Portland back in 2007, and he made the observation in in reference to somebody was talking about Maslow's hierarchy and sustainability, and he's like, I look at our communities now, and people are self actualizing in the absence of community, and if we don't figure out how to build community with intention will continue to do that and i think the last decade is a testament to the fact that that hasn't happened but could yeah that's that's very exciting yeah. and a great place to stop so you know what i really really loved reconnecting with you tom and jason i know it's early for you uh, are you going to get tested today or anything like that no <laughs> <laughs> awesome <laughs> well, and enjoy your Sunday, and uh, we will we will uh, see you soon. Well, I hope, Tom, I hope we get a chance to do this again. Uh, look forward to it anytime. Okay, thanks, thanks guys. guys. Good luck with the pod. It's great. Thanks. Boom. Wow, wow. our old yeah, I know our old pal Tom with the the cool stuff at the end. Well, there. the big um, words, lots of big words, lots of yeah. correctly conjugated English. Yeah. You know, for a bloke who's only four foot seven. 
uh, uh, who can't hold his liquor. He's a fascinating guy. You, you know, you're still allowed to make short jokes in Australia. All day, baby. Not, All that day. Is not, not, that is really not something that we can do over here. It just, <laughs> it's just not, not on the table. But uh, anyway, it, it's it was really a lot of fun. Uh, it felt like old times. You know, the takeaway for me is that there, you know, if nothing else, there's some hope in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're. <laughs> but hey, uh, before we go, I really want to make sure everybody knows about what our 2021 plan here is. We are going to start taking suggestions from you guys, the listeners, on what topics we should talk about. Maybe people we should go interview, that sort of thing. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for giving us your five-star reviews. Thanks so much for passing us along to other people so that we can incrementally grow each week. That has been really fun. But uh, reach out to us on social media and tell us what direction you want us to go, what you want us to talk about, who you want us to interview, and that kind of thing. So. Please, please, please. And, and for those people who haven't given us a review or have just ignored us, look, we know who you are. We do. And I'm talking particularly to my 82-year-old mother. Mum, come on. Come on. She's holding it against you because you did so badly on the vaccines one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. You're not my son. As a retired doctor, she's horrified. Yeah, yeah. He didn't even know what rubella was. And then after he missed rubella, he made fun of rubella. And then he compared it to chlamydia. (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, yeah okay well that's gonna do it for this week we'll see you next year everybody happy new year happy new year thank you for joining us at the recombobulator lab with chris dominic and jason graham nine catch you next time